Hi, this is Pastor Curtis. I want to thank you for checking out the Family Church Podcast. I hope it encourages you and inspires you to take your next step of faith. You can find out more about how to do that at our website, familychurch.xyz. And if you know a friend who needs to hear this message, please forward it on to them. I hope you enjoy the message. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. We're continuing our series this morning titled, It's Time. And if you haven't been here for the past couple of weeks, you're kind of coming in halfway through the movie. So real quick, kind of get you up to speed. We've been uh, talking about uh, how to motivate us to, to do some of these things that we really, uh, we, we, we know that we should be doing, but, but we don't. And we're going to talk a little bit about why we don't do those things. But when it comes to spiritual disciplines in our relationship with God, most of us know what we ought to do. We know what we should be doing. We just, we just don't. And the thing is, the longer that we we're not doing these things that we know we should be doing, the easier it is to get spiritually stuck and kind of get in a rut. So, so this series was designed to kind of help motivate us, to jumpstart us, and get us unstuck so we can start doing some of these things that we already know that we should be doing. Last week, I shared an illustration that, that I think many of us can relate to or maybe have experienced where you're at a stoplight and, and, it, and it changes from red to green and the car in front of you uh, doesn't move. And, and you can tell from their head that they're probably looking down at their phone and they're texting or checking their email or maybe they're adjusting the volume on the radio or something, uh, but they're, they're not moving. And so, you know, the, the, the depraved part of me, you know, wants to, you know, get on that horn and just, you know, lay down on that puppy, you know, and, but, but I'm a pastor. And so I want to speak the truth in love. So I'm, I don't do that. You know, I just want to give them a little, little love tap. Beep, beep. Lights, lights green. Beep, beep. Time to go. You know, just kind of let them know, hey, come on, it, it's time to go. And, and honestly, as your pastor, there are times that I feel that way about you because, because I, know that the li- I, I know the life that you can be living. It's really the life that you want to live. It's the abundant life that Jesus talked about. And we talked last week about how it's, it's closer than you think. It's not out of reach. It's closer than you think. But, but sometimes life gets hard and we, we bump up into things that distract us and, and get us sidetracked from that abundant life. I came across this great quote this past week, and you've probably heard this quote or a variation of it, and depending on where you read it and the source, it's been attributed to Tim Robbins, to Stephen Covey, to Henry Ford, but I'm going to go ahead and attribute it to Henry Ford. But, but here's the quote. If you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. How many of you have heard that or something, something similar to it? See, some of you have higher expectations for your life. You want your life to be better, but you get bogged down by, by just life and, and sometimes the choices that you make. And, 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 and these choices sometimes work against the plan and purpose that God has for us. Your hopes are high, but your habits are low. And as long as your habits are low... You're going to keep doing what you've been doing and getting what you've been getting. In fact, this really was the central message behind pretty much all of Jesus' sermons. From the moment that he started his public ministry and began preaching and teaching, Jesus always challenged his audience to change. Now, the word that he used was the word repent, the word repent. And we talked about that word last week and how kind of it's a problem for people today because today when people hear the word repent, we don't really understand it. When we hear the word repent, we think of some holy person pointing their finger at an unholy person and saying, you better change or else. 
but that's not really what the word means at all. Last week, we kind of broke that word down and discovered that it comes from two Greek words that when put together mean to change one's way of thinking or to change one's mind because you'll never change your actions until you, you change the way that you think. That's just how it is. So Jesus came alongside people who, who were stuck, stuck in a rut, maybe just a, a life rut or a spiritual rut, and, and he challenged them to change. And anytime Jesus talked about repenting, basically what he was doing was, beep, beep, hey, beep, beep, come on, it's time. God's got this new thing for you. Come on, it's time to move. Right? Time to move. It's time to move towards that, that new thing that God has because it's right there. It's within your grasp. You just need to reach out for it. So, so one of the goals of this series titled It's Time is to help us get unstuck spiritually, to get us moving so that we can get some momentum in our spiritual life, get some traction in our walk with God. Last week, the theme of the message was, was just simply to get moving. You know, beat, beat, let's go. Come on, light's green. Come on, let, 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 let's go. And then I gave you some questions that hopefully got you moving. And then, and then once we start moving in, in the right direction, we transition from go time, you know, let's go. We transition from go time to what I'm calling God time. Time to have more of God in our lives. And that's the title of this week's message. Last week, it was go time. This week, it's God time. Most of us here this morning probably have some God in us, otherwise you wouldn't be here, right? I mean, uh, you've got some God in you, but still there's some areas of your life that you have kind of stiff-armed God and kept him at arm's length from. The thing is, if we have these areas that we're, that we're stiff-arming God in and keeping him out of, he will never accomplish what he wants to do in and through your life. And you'll never be able to live that life, the best version of you that he wants for you and that you want for yourself. So with that as our backdrop, here's our big idea for this morning's message. The big idea is it's God time. It's God time. Time for more of God's presence in every part of our life. Because many people have received Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're going to heaven but still, you're, you're, you're leaving God out of some of the areas of your life. So what would it look like if God had access to every part of your life? Not just the ones you're allowing him to, but every, even those secret ones that you're, that you're kind of hiding. What would your life look like if God had access to every part of your life, your minds, your bodies, your schedules, your finances? C.S. Lewis said this once. He said, human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God, which will make him happy. Here's how the Apostle Paul kind of addressed that idea in Romans 13, beginning at verse 11. He said, but make sure that you don't get so absorbed and exhausted and taking care of all your day-to-day -day obligations that you lose track of the time. In other words, you get so caught up in your everyday responsibilities and obligations, you don't even realize this is happening, but you're sitting at the intersection and you've gotten distracted by something, and the light's changing. You don't even know it. You need someone to come and beep, beep, hey. Hey, it's green. It's time to go. He says, taking care of all your day-to-day -day obligations that you lose track of the time, and doze off oblivious to God. Oblivious to God. So that was the purpose for last week's beep, beep message. God, God kind of giving us a nudge. Hey, wake up. Come on. Time is short. It's time to go. It's time to go. Continues on in Romans 13. The night is about over. Dawn is about to break. 
be up and awake to what God is doing. God is putting the finishing touches on the salvation work he began. Huge word there. The salvation work he began when we first believed. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, our eternity is settled at that point. We're on our way to heaven. But we, we can't stop there. We can't stop there. God still has some work for us to do in the meantime until we go home or until he takes us home. See, that's why some of you need to repent. That's why some of you need to change your way of thinking to start thinking kingdom principles. We can't afford to waste. He continues, we can't afford to waste a minute. Must not squander these precious daylight hours in frivolity and indulgence in sleeping around in dissipation and bickering and grabbing everything in sight. Get out of bed and get dressed. Beat, beat. Come on, get up. Light's green. Let's go. Let's go. Don't loiter and linger, waiting until the very last minute. Dress yourselves in Christ and be up and about. See, here's what I know. Here's what I know. The moment that you put God at the center of your life is the moment that you begin to experience true joy. The moment you put God at the center of your life, give him access to all of your life, that's the moment that you'll experience true joy. And there are some here this morning, and you really do love God. In fact, in many ways, you're a great person, right? But there's, there's still some areas of your life where you have stiff-armed God and refused to allow him full access to every area of your life. Not long ago, I had the privilege of serving as one of our district uh, presbyters, and, and one of my responsibilities as a presbyter uh, was to meet with some other pastors up in this region of the state uh, on a quarterly basis. We would meet with them quarterly, and I would just I would talk with them. I would try to encourage them and pray with them or just speak into their, their life and ministry. And, and during these conversations, uh, we would talk about any struggles that they might be going through or having struggles that were oftentimes the result of some unhealthy things taking place in their own lives or in their own marriage. And, and, and even though these conversations weren't always easy, I was able to get through them because I knew, I knew, and the pastor knew that I was just doing what my job. I, I, I knew that this is what I was supposed to do. He knew that this is what I was supposed to do. So, so it, it was easier to be more direct and have, not have a filter and, and just, you know, just speak, speak truth into these pastors' lives as we had these conversations. Now, I don't do that with you guys. I don't do that with you guys. I can't talk to you and be as direct with you on Sunday mornings. You know why? Because you'd probably get mad, you'd get offended, and you would leave. Just being honest, right? Y'all wouldn't come back next week. If, if, if I told you what I was really thinking about where you need to be, right? I said, well, what do you do? You know, what if I really wanted to tell you what I was thinking? You'd get mad. You'd get upset, you'd get offended, and you'd leave, and you might not ever come back. So I got to thinking, what would it look like? I wonder what it would look like if I ever did preach a sermon where I didn't pull any punches, and I could just say what was really on my mind and not worry about you getting offended and leaving. What, what would that sermon look like if I just laid it all out there and told you exactly what I was thinking? For example like this series that we're in now, It's Time. What, what would it look like? What would the sermon be if I were to tell you what, 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 what it's really time for? What it's really time for. So, so I, I don't want to tell you what I'm really thinking. I just want to show you what it would look like if, <laughs> if I were to tell you 
what, what I'm, I'm really thinking. So I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you what I'm thinking. I'm just going to show you what it looked like if I were to preach a message telling you what I'm really thinking. Got it? So, so don't get mad because I'm not really telling you what I'm thinking. I'm just showing you what it would look like if I were to tell you what I'm really thinking. So, so here, are some, here are some areas that I think that it's, it's time for for you. Here are some areas that I think it's time for. So let me begin with this disclaimer. If you don't like what I'm about to share with you, that's all right. No harm, no foul. You just keep on doing what you've been doing and getting what you've been getting. Okay, is that fair? All right. So I made a list of some things. I came up with 38. <laughs> but I'm only going to give you four. <laughs> things I'd really like to share with you if I were going to tell you what I really thought. I'm not going to, but if I did. If I were, here are four things that it's, it's, it's time for. First thing, it's time to take control of your schedule. It's time to take control of your schedule. Some of you, the reason your relationship with the Lord seems so hot and cold up and down is because you're trying to cram too many things into your daily schedule. And frankly, there's just too many things to do and too little of you to get them done. And, and this is especially true if you have children, and you parents know this, especially if you have younger children. You know, and, and, and if it seems like there's less time during the week than there used to be, that's not just you. That's not just you. Studies have shown that in the last, think about this, in the last 20 years, there's been a decline of 12 hours per week in the average child's free time. 12 hours less than, 20, than it was 20 years ago. So think about that. Because, because of our schedules in this day and age, your children have 12 less hours a week than you did growing up. And oftentimes, these are things that they, they need to get done. They're, they're not just, you know, just having fun. No, these, these are things that you need to get done. And it's not like you can't do them. You know, you, you have to do them. But if there's no structure and order to your day, then you're going to run yourself ragged trying to accomplish these things. And here's how Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, here's how he explained this. In Ecclesiastes 4, he said, better to have one handful with quietness than two handfuls with hard work and chasing the wind. Now, it's true we have two hands, right? But listen, just because we have two hands doesn't mean we have to keep them full all the time, right? Doesn't mean, just because we have two hands doesn't mean we have to keep them full all the time. In fact, you'll never experience, mark this down, you'll never experience your best life, the best version of you, as long as there's no margin in your life. And if I were to go around and ask you, each of you, is there any margin in your, in your life, in your schedules? I'm willing to say about over 90% of you say, you know, no, not really. Because we don't think about margin. We're just trying to get by. We're trying to work jobs, pay bills, take the kids to practices. So we don't think about that. But understand, you, this is something that you really need to target. Right? Now, again, I wouldn't actually tell you this on a Sunday morning because you'd probably get mad and leave. But if we, were having a, if we were having coffee together and we're up at hot off the press and I'm sitting across the table from you, right? And I might ask you about your daily schedule. Tell me what your day looks like. Because you'll never get to where you want to be until you get a handle on your schedule. But understand, the goal isn't to prioritize your schedule, but to schedule your priorities. Huge difference. There's a huge difference there. Target those things that are important to you and make sure you're investing in and, and giving adequate time to these areas. I would also tell you that God, God needs to be at the top of your list of priorities. That's what I would say. I won't actually tell you that, but if I did, I would tell you that God 
needs to be at the top of your list of priorities. I would also tell you that if God's not at the top of your priority list and you aren't honoring him by giving him the first of your life, the first, of, first part of your time each week on Sunday mornings, the first part of your talents and gifts by serving in some capacity, and the first part of your treasure by tithing, if that's not the case with you, then I would tell you you're not living the best version of you, the life that God has for you. So let, let me bottom line this for you because there's no way I'd ever say this to you on a Sunday morning, but if I did, if I did, here's what I would say. I would encourage you to, at the beginning of each day, when you first get up, but before you, before you do anything, before you look at your phone, before you check your emails, before you open up Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, before you cook breakfast, before you do anything else, you should put God first. Now, the, the, the only thing you can do before meeting with God, if you want to, is you can make some coffee because coffee is the heavenly bean juice, all right? <laughs> Uh, and besides, there's a book in the Bible called Hebrews. So every morning, every morning, that's what I do. I brew some coffee. I, I have my own special blend of this 50-50 mix of, of Cameron's uh, toasted southern pecan beans. And I mix them, and I mix them with, you know, shout out to Cameron's over there, our Cameron's rip. Well, but but I, I mix my Cameron's toasted southern pecan beans with my Trader Joe's uh, morning breakfast blend. And I tell you what, I put those in the grinder. I grind those beans up. And man, I'll tell you what, two or three cups of that in 15 minutes with God. And I head out the door with so much confidence, I'm ready to go bear hunting with a switch. I tell you, man, I'm just. So go ahead and make some coffee. But then I want you to set aside the next few minutes to focus on God. And I would suggest 15 minutes. If you can do more, great. Yeah, if you can do more, absolutely great. But I, I don't care how packed your daily schedule is. If you can't give 15 minutes to God, you've got some serious priority problems, and you, you need to take a hard look at that. So, um, of course, I would never tell you that on a Sunday morning, but if I did, <laughs> I would tell you that, that you need to spend a minimum of 15 minutes at the beginning of each day to spend with God. And those 15 minutes, I think, are best utilized these three ways. Five minutes reading the Bible. You know, that, that's about a psalm. Some of those psalms are so short, you could read eight or ten psalms. But five minutes reading the Bible, five minutes in worship, that's one song, and then five minutes in prayer. You know, just a, just a brief, you know, thanksgiving uh, and request or praise and petition. Uh, Lord, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you've done. And now here's what I need to make it through the day. If you'll begin to incorporate these things into your daily routine and, and make God a priority by putting him at the beginning of your day, I guarantee you it will be easier to stay on top of your schedule. Guaranteed. That will happen. The next thing that I would tell you it's time for, and here's where I'm really going to kind of start getting up in your business. That's why I would never do this on a Sunday morning. But if I did, here's what I would say. I think it's time to rethink what you allow to enter your mind and body. Because some of you aren't very discriminating when it comes to the things that you allow into your, to your body and into your soul. That's why I would ask you about the things that you watch or look at or the things that you listen to or the things that you eat or drink. And I know that I run the risk of sounding like a legalistic preacher here, but honestly, it's more about living your best life than it is do's and don'ts. Because remember, we're, we're, we're born broken. We're all born broken. We came into this world broken. And, and it's that broken part of us that gravitate towards more, more brokenness. It's that broken part of you that causes you to want to click on that website that you, have, you know you have no business going to. 
It's that broken part of you that struggles finding that, that fine line between enjoying a refreshing drink at the end of the day and, and, and feeding an, an addiction. But look, I don't want to demonize these things. We already know that they're bad. We, we know that these things are unhealthy for us. So let's just call them what they are. I mean, let, let's normalize them because, frankly, that is our new normal today. Think about this. and Think about pornography. 68% of church-going, church-going men and over, over 50% of pastors view porn on a regular basis. Of young Christian adults, 18 to 24 years old, 76%, that's three out of four, actively search for porn. But I better not say anything because I don't want to offend you, right? Even those of us who are saved, we're still broken and we need to make sure that we're regulating how much of the world, how much non-God stuff that we allow into our lives and into our body. And I know that there are those who would push back and argue, you know what, I'm not hurting anyone. God still loves me. God still loves me. And you know, Paul would agree with that. The apostle Paul would agree with you on that. Right? And, and he, in fact, he would say in 1 Corinthians 10, 23, looking at it one way, you could say anything goes, anything goes because of God's immense generosity and grace. We don't have to dissect and scrutinize every action to see if it will pass muster. But the point, verse 24, but the point is not to just get by. We want to live well, but our foremost efforts should be to, and here it is, help others live well. It's not just about us. It's really not just about us. So, so I would just ask you to wrestle with this for a while because, beep, beep, it's God time. It, it, it's, God, it's time to open up more fully, especially those areas that you've been stiff-arming God. Allow more God into your life. Maybe it's time to get an accountability partner. Or maybe it's time to get in a filter on your internet. Or maybe it's time to ask someone who loves you and cares about you if they think maybe you drink too much. Again, let's, let, let's don't demonize these things. They're already there. We know they're unhealthy. They're out there. And they gravitate towards us and we gravitate towards them because we're all broken. Those of you who grew up in church might remember the great hymn, Come Thou Fount by Robert Robinson. And the chorus of the song goes this way. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That is so powerful because you think, why would we leave the one we love? It's because we're broken. It's because we're broken. David knew this. That's why he prayed. And this would be a good, a good prayer for all of us to pray every morning. Psalm 141, verse 4, God, don't let me drift toward evil or take part in acts of wickedness. Don't let me share in the delicacies of those who do wrong. So how do we keep from sharing in the delicacies of those who do wrong? By monitoring those three gateways to our soul and the, and the things that we allow, the things we allow ourselves to see, the things we allow ourselves to hear, the things we allow ourselves to eat and drink. The third thing that I would say to you, but I won't since it's Sunday morning and I don't want to make you mad, but if I were to speak into your life, I would ask you about your stuff. I would ask you about your possessions and your money. Because it's time to organize your finances around these three words, give, save, and live. Give, save, and it should be in that order. 
I know it can come across as self-serving anytime a pastor talks about money, but I really make no apologies for it because Jesus talked about money and stewardship of, of possessions and things more than, than any other thing. Any other thing. In fact, 11 of the 39 parables deal with this topic. So why did Jesus spend so much time talking about our stewardship of our possessions and money? Because he knew, listen, he knew that if we could, get, if we could take that next step and begin to trust him in this area of our life, our lives would be so much better. So much better. Matthew 6, 21. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So whatever we value, that's what he's saying, whatever we value, our heart is going to be close by. It's going to follow suit. So if I could spend about an hour with you and share my heart, I'd love to talk to you about honoring God with your finances and being good stewards of of what he's already blessed you with. Proverbs 3, verse 9, Solomon says, Honor God with everything you own. See that? Everything. Not not just the tithe, not just part of it. Honor God with everything you own because it all belongs to him. He he just lets us manage and hopefully be good stewards over the 90%, but it all belongs to him anyway. Give him first the first and the best. Honor God with everything you own. Give him the first and the best. The first and best of your time. You're doing that right now by being here at church, right? Giving him the first part of your day or your week in worship, the first part of, of, of your, your, your talents and your gifts by serving on one of our dream teams, hopefully, and the, and, and the first part of your, your treasure in tithes and offerings. It's time to live your life intentionally. It's time to live your life intentionally because your circumstances don't determine where you're at where you are. Your disciplines determine where you are. Let me say that again because that, that's, a, that's a huge statement. You and I are not the product of our circumstances. We are the product of our daily disciplines or lack of them. And living your life more intentionally is simply living your life with some personal disciplines. Sluggards don't have discipline. Proverbs 20, verse 4, Solomon says this, The sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. We're living in a day and age where so many people don't, don't have any personal disciplines or, or structure to guide and direct their lives. And, and, and that lack of discipline is manifesting in a lot of unhealthy ways. Things like, like self-entitlement. Things like instant gratification. Notice Solomon says they don't plow. No, see, you plow whether you see anything or not. If you want to harvest, you got that's the first step. You've got to plow. You've got to plant the seeds right? And, and you'll never see the fruit of your labor if you don't plow and you don't plant. <clears throat> I've mentioned our story before. Most of you know this, that last month, Sue and I celebrated 34 years of, of, of pastoring here and, and, and ministering in this community and how the last two and a half to three years have, have really been uh, the most exciting time of, of our time here. And you know, finally, after 30 years of, of plowing and planting seeds and building relationships and, and serving this community, family church, finally, we're in a time of harvest. And, and it's, it's exciting. It's the most exciting time that we've ever experienced. But with no plowing and no planting, there's no harvest. A while back, there was a, a young family that, that attended church here for about a month. And uh, 
and then I didn't see them, you know, after that. And so I assumed that, you know, that they maybe started attending church somewhere else, which is fine. I, I understand that there's different ways to do church. We're not for everyone. Sometimes people come here, they want to kick the tires and see, you know, how we worship. And, 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 and you know, some people resonate with that. Some don't. And I understand that, you know, because we're not for everyone. So I just assumed that this family had, had you know, kind of gone on to another church where they felt at home. And, and, and I'm good with that. But then I heard that this same person was, was, was contemplating starting a church. And they were talking to someone that, that goes to our church, still goes to our church, and they asked them this question. <laughs> something like, I don't know word for word, but it was something like, hey, what do I need to do to create a harvest time of excitement like what's happening at Curtis's church? Not family church, because when you've been somewhere 34 years, it's Curtis's church, Right. But, hey, what, 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 what can I do to get, I mean, you know, that's, you guys, that's an exciting time. What, what do I need to do to create that same kind of excitement? And the person who attends here, who was asked that question, this is how they answered it. They said, well, you need to move to town. You need to build relationships. You need to serve the community faithfully for 30 years and then see what happens. People want what we have, but they don't want to, do what we did to get here. Sluggards don't plow, and if you don't plow, you won't have anything to harvest. John Wooden, former coach of the UCLA Bruins basketball team, has more NCAA basketball championships than any other basketball coach in history. Ten, think about this, 10 national titles in 12 years. That's an accomplishment that, that, that'll never be achieved again. So what did Coach Wooden teach his players to ensure such excellence and, and success on the court? Well, believe it or not, one thing that he taught them was how to put on their socks. I kid you not. At the beginning of each season, preseason, Coach Wooden gather in the locker room with his players, and he'd show his players how to prevent sock wrinkles around the little toe and the heel and how to lace up their shoes with a double knot. And this helped his players avoid blisters. And he would tell the team, he would tell them, in the closing minutes of a close game, the player without blisters on his feet is going to perform better. Attention to detail, Wooden said. Attention to detail creates success in basketball, in business, and in life in general. His focus on the fundamentals, running drills, executing plays, gave his team the confidence that they needed on the court and made them virtually impossible to beat. Wooden never had to resort to pep talks or tirades. He never yelled at his team. He just helped his players excel at the basics because excelling at the basics wins basketball games and wins championships. The basics of spiritual growth are the same for all Christians, for new believers as well as old saints. There are no shortcuts to this process. The only way to excel in the Christian life is just be consistent in doing the basics. Daily prayer, daily Bible study, daily worship, daily service, daily fellowship. These are the fundamentals of the faith. And, and we never, we never outgrow our need for these basic fundamentals. Spending time alone in prayer, reading or memorizing a verse or visiting a lonely person, that, that may sometimes seem as exciting as putting on some socks or tying your shoes. But when you do it right, when you do it right, it offers the opportunity for greatness. A lifetime of difference is made in daily deposits of intentionality. 
author and speaker John Maxwell wrote a book titled, one of his books is titled The The Rule of Five. And in this book, he talks about choosing five things, five things to work on in your life, five things that you want to be consistent about and and working on and and, and improving on each day. And he kind of gave this example. He said, picture a tree in your backyard that needs to be cut down. He said, if you grab an ax and and take five good swings at that tree each day, no no matter how big the tree is, Every day, five swings, it will eventually fall. But there's one rule that goes with the rule of five. You cannot, and this is non-negotiable, you cannot miss a single day. Rain or shine, five swings. 20 degrees, 110 degrees, five swings. You go out there and take those five swings. You don't have to do it all day, just, just every day, five swings. If I had some one-on-one time with you, I'd ask you about your priorities and your daily schedule, and, and, and I would encourage you to pick five areas of your life that you'd like to get better at, and, and, and starting today, not tomorrow, starting today, start taking those swings, start swinging away at those five things. Here's what this looks like for me, and it's going to look different for everyone, but here's, here's what this looks like for me, and, and, and again, the five things that I try to prioritize. Each day, each day, I will spend some time with God at the beginning of each day. Spend some time with God at the beginning of each day. Second thing, I'll serve my wife by fixing her coffee and breakfast each morning. I serve my wife by fixing. I do, and I do that. I'm sorry, guys. Ladies, no elbows. Sorry. But I do. I serve my wife. I honor her by fixing her coffee and breakfast each morning. Third thing that I try to do each day is I I, I pray. I pray for you. I pray for all of you each day. Fourth thing, I try to love those closest to me. I try to be very intentional about loving those who are closest to me. And then the fifth thing is I, every day I try to take care of myself by walking or exercising, taking care of myself physically, emotionally, mentally. Proverbs 12 verse 11 says, those who work their land will have abundant food. The rule of five is a great way to start working the land. Start plowing up that land. Start planting those seeds. So if I could have a few minutes of your time, I, I would tell you that the only way that you're ever, that you're ever going to become the best version of you is when you start living your life more intentionally. The psalmist once prayed this prayer, and it's a great prayer, by the way, in Psalm 90, verse 12. He said, teach us to number our days and recognize how few they are. Help us to spend them as we should. So real quick, I want to give you three principles that will help you spend your days as you should. Number one, you got to know your purpose. You got to have a purpose. If you don't know your purpose, why would you even pick five areas to try to improve in, right? Another way to put it would be to say, if you, only, if you have no why, you have no way. If you have no why in your life, you have no, no way. Having a purpose totally changes your outlook on life. When you've got something to live for, it, 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 it's a game changer. And, and the psalmist is very clear about the fact that, that you, me, we all have something to live for. All of us have something to, to live for. Psalm 139, verse 16. All the, days of, all the days are ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Not only does God have a purpose for us, it's a good purpose. It's a good purpose. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. 
So you got to have a purpose. You got to have a purpose. Second, you got to have a plan. You got to have a plan. Go home this afternoon and, and make a daily, weekly, or monthly schedule or put a budget together. You got to have a plan. Proverbs 17, 24, an intelligent person aims at wise action, but a fool starts off in many directions. <laughs> Literal translations, wise people have a plan. Foolish people don't. Don't be foolish. Don't be a fool. Have a plan. Have a plan. And then the third point, you must have some accountability. You must have some accountability because if you try to do this alone, you're not going to make it. You'll fail. You're going to fail. You say, Pastor, quit being so negative. Can't you be more positive? Yes, I can be more positive. I'm positive that you're going to fail if you try to do this on your own. That's just the way God created us. He did not create any lone rangers. He created us not to just be dependent but interdependent on one another. But, you know, you know how this works. You know how this works. If you get somebody to meet you at the track every morning at a certain time, you're going to be, I don't care how crappy you feel, you're going to be more motivated to meet them because you know they're going to be there. If you try to get someone to say, meet you at the gym to hold you accountable, you're going to be more likely to show up. So you know how this works. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 9, two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. Verse 10, if one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble, real trouble. Now, I know I've leaned on some of you this morning, talked about some, some hard stuff, some scary stuff, some scary stuff, stuff, stuff like making yourself vulnerable to others, stuff like being honest with, with God. But if we'll trust him and, and take a step at a time, one step, then the next step, and, and we, and we got to take the steps because, come on, beep, beep. It's go time, and it's God time. It's God time. So here's your homework, and then I want to pray for you. Three questions to keep the discussion going this week. What steps can I take right now to invite God into my finances? And, and I purposely chose that topic because that, that's a hard one that, for everyone. That, that's a hard one. That, that, that's, that, that's, that's a deal breaker for some people. So wrestle with that. Invite God into that conversation. What steps can I take right now to invite God into my finances? Second question, what can I limit or remove from my life this week in order to devote my eyes, ears, words, and thoughts more fully to God? What can I limit or remove from my life this week in order to devote my eyes, ears, words, and thoughts more fully to God? to God. And then third question, what else can I do to live more intentionally this week? What else can I do to live more intentionally this week? Bow your heads. Let me pray for you. Father, I do pray. I pray, Father, now that your presence would, would right now come and fill people and, and, and give people the courage to surrender every part of their life to you including their daily schedules, including their relationships, including their finances. And, and as they begin giving their life to you, more intentionally, I pray that you would honor that and, and release that abundant life that you promised those who would put their faith in you. Help people, help people know their purpose. Help people have a plan and help people make themselves accountable. And as they do, Lord, as they do, help them experience that, that abundant life that you talked about as you help them be the best version of them that they can be. 
And while your heads are bowed, if you're, if you're here and you're lost, you're not, you're not in a right relationship with God. Maybe you were at one time, but, but you're not right now. For whatever reason, that, that relationship is just not where it should be or it's just never existed. If that's you, I would like to invite you to make that good this morning. Just, just, just ask God to forgive you. It's as simple as that. Just say, say God, I, I know I'm broken. I know I can't fix myself. So I'm asking you now to forgive me. Forgive me of my sins. Heal me. Draw me close to you. I, I surrender my life to you right now, and I receive your life in return. So, so save me, Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, and help me begin living my life for you and for your purpose from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen.